that we not only have a fellowship with each other, but a fellowship with God himself, that he has brought us into the family and he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I have to tell you, from the get-go of knowing that I was getting into this passage, and a passage of Scripture that... I've quoted many times, but now I'm teaching through it, especially verses 5 through 11. It feels like I'm stepping onto holy ground here, and it's the humility that is displayed of Jesus Christ, his being exalted to the right hand of the Father that's being described to us. But Paul is also telling us that we should have this same type mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so, He's speaking to us as the church and how we should function, how we should operate as believers, how we should live our life. In chapter 1, he closes encouraging the church of Philippi to have a conduct worthy of the calling of Christ, that they would at all times be found standing fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, that they not only believe in Jesus Christ, but also suffer for his sake. And that theme of unity continues here in chapter 2. And I'm going to take us through the first four verses as he's really addressing the church in these verses, saying to us, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each one of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So he begins by saying, therefore, it, it takes us right back into chapter 1, where he's speaking about the unity of Christ, the unity that he desires within the fellowship, where he referred to us standing fast in one spirit of one mind, that we are to strive together. And then he draws it out by having these four if statements here. 
saying, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. This is an if that refers to a certainty. And it could perhaps better read this way, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy. These things that the Lord has given us. The consolation in Christ, it's paracletus in the Greek, the consolation that is translated comes from the word paracletus. It's the same word, and we've been, if you've done this with us this week, I challenged my guys at men's breakfast last week to take the week and look at John 14 and look at the following week at John 15 and and reading through that, if not every day, several times through the week and trying to pull out of that passage and and a few times this week, you know, when we didn't push it to the very end, sometimes I will confess to you, I fall asleep on the couch. And so after I'm done sleeping, I don't really get up and read scripture before I go back to sleep in bed. But I was reading these uh, John 14 to Lily, and just uh, that's how we were kind of signing off our day. At, I really like to do that. But in John 14, 16, it talks about the helper, the paracletus, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit there, it speaks about, it's actually a legal term of someone who comes alongside in your defense, in behalf of another. And this consolation, again, it's the paracletus, and it translated for us as an encouragement. It's someone who has come alongside. There is a consolation in Christ. Christ has come alongside. He encourages us. He exhorts us. He is the foundation of our faith and our lives. And there's also the comfort of love. It means to be nurtured by love. And this love here is agape that's translated from the Greek. And it describes what I believe a love that, you know, there is uh, a brotherly love, phileo, that we have. And, and there's other loves described in Scripture to us. But this one is that of a love that only God can uh, bring in our lives. At least that's how I perceive it. And this love, it tells us in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And this love is now available to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself being called a comforter. And, and there's this comfort of love, this agape love that God has uh, given us in our lives. And the fellowship of the Spirit, koinonia in the Greek, speaks about a a partnership, an association that we have, that we not only have a fellowship with each other, but a fellowship with God himself, that he has brought us into the family, and he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a guarantee of our salvation in Christ Jesus, and also affection and mercy. Affection is speaking about the emotion that comes from deep within us, and the mercy that is a heartfelt, a human compassion that we can have for one another. Since these things are all ours, since we have received the consolation in Christ, the comfort of his love, the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit, which produces in us true affection and true mercy in our lives. These are ours by right of salvation. And they should be the characteristics of our lives as believers. But since we have received these things, Paul says in verse 2, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He says, fulfill my joy. And, and we learned last week that there was some from verse 16 that they were preaching Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, from selfish ambition. They were not sincere when they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had hidden motives. It wasn't out of the purity of heart. And Paul is asking the church there to fulfill my joy. And I, I can just see the Paul himself, and it's been 10 to 12 years since he's first ministered in Philippi, and he's visited since the very first time. He was there on at least two other occasions, but now he's in prison, and he's writing back to them, and he says, would you fulfill my joy by being like-minded? I've heard of some disputes that are taking place, and, and you guys aren't, you're not of one accord, you're not in one spirit, and he's asking to fulfill my joy as we learned last week of those who were preached out of envy and strife and selfish ambition without a sincere heart. But we've been called to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be of one accord, to be of one mind. Pastor Chuck said the success of Calvary Chapel can only be contributed to the fact that it was begun in the Spirit. When J. Edwin Orr, an expert in the study of history of revivals in the church, heard about Calvary Chapel, he came down to study this revival and concluded it was the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, transforming the lives of the people of God. Back then, we were seeking to be led and controlled by the Spirit of God. Today, it seems to me that we are seeking to be led by gifted men to share their ideas of church growth. When we read of the phenomenal growth of the church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47, we find that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who should be saved. And then Pastor Chuck closes the letter by saying this, large church numbers has never been our goal. But it's of utmost importance to be true to the word, to be led by the spirit and his final words, to be unified in our faith. And I can just perceive Chuck saying, fulfill my joy as he's preparing this movement to continue without him. I can hear Chuck, although he didn't write it, just like Paul said to the church of Philippi, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind, that we would be like-minded and have the same agape love to be of one accord and one mind, like the church that is found in the book of Acts. And then he continues on in verse 3 saying, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And so this selfish ambition, this promoting of self, self-interest, uh, selfishness, Paul referring to this as he had written, as I said already in chapter 1, verse 16, about those who preach Christ from selfish ambition. This should not be our aim or our goal, and we need to check ourselves quite often, I believe, for the motive. What is my motive? Why am I doing these things? Is it for self-interest, self-promotion? Uh, self-glory or glory of others? Or is it to bring glory to God in Christ through our works, knowing that we are to serve in humility as the Lord has called us to? 
Uh, this conceit that he refers to here, let nothing be done in selfish ambition and conceit, it's translated as vain glory in the King James. And it talks about, in the Greek, it refers to having an empty or cheap pride, that of which you have in yourselves. So I said that empty and cheap pride, and I, I just recalled a plane trip where we overlaid out in Las Vegas once. And, and on that trip, as we laid over there and some people boarded to finish and go out to California with us. Uh, I saw Mr. and Mrs. Pride as they walked on board. The guy would just, I mean, I wish I could look like him as far as his uh, muscular strength, but his long flowing blonde hair, uh, a Fabio, if you'd like to think of, but also his wife. They were both dressed in black and they both had this vainglory about them, and they wanted the attention of other people. The thing with his wife was, as we were standing in the baggage, all waiting for our baggage at the end of that flight, she had, ladies, you perhaps experienced this before. It doesn't look good when it happens, and you would know this, but she had her lipstick that was highlighted and outlined it with a black, and then you're supposed to have another color on the inside. Well, the black remained... And the other color on the inside disappeared through the flight. And so, you know, I was thinking more of a clown-like figure was standing next to me than the vainglory that she was uh, desiring from people to look at her. But we get that way. It doesn't have to be in our dress or presentation. It can be in the way we conduct ourselves around others in life. We're to have lowliness of mind. It's a Greek compound word that refers to a humility and a humbleness of mind, and then we're to esteem others higher than ourselves. And, and that is something that our society doesn't teach us. It's in opposition to the society around us, but it's not in opposition to the Word of God, where Paul wrote in Romans 12.10, to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, giving honor and preference to one another. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18, 9 through 14. And he spoke there, and, and in just reading from that portion, it says, And he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were always righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Isn't that interesting? He, Jesus saying he wasn't praying to God. He was praying with himself, probably to himself at that point. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For the, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's our theme today as we look in verses 1 through 11, going from humility to exaltation. And the picture that Paul gives us is that of Christ Jesus himself to be considered humble. Uh, some of the definitions for that word read this way. To be humbled, it means to be marked by meekness or modesty in behavior and attitude or in spirit, not to be arrogant or prideful. 
To be humble means to be of lowly in mind, to abase the pride or the arrogance of, to reduce the self-sufficiency of, to make meek or submissive, to abase, to lower, depress, humiliate, mortify. Mortify is not a word that we use too often. It's one that I remember that was used in times past, but to mortify, and I think of that, to mortify the flesh, to depress who we are in self, to lift up Christ Jesus himself. And, and finally, the last definition I have here, thinking lowly of oneself, claiming little for oneself, not proud, arrogant, or assuming, thinking of oneself ill-deserving or unworthy, when judged by the demands of God, lowly, weak, and modest. C.S. Lewis said this about humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And then an unknown artist said this, Humility, a strange thing. The minute you think you've got it, you've lost it. True humility is a hard thing to achieve, and I believe it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yet we are called to this humility to, as Peter said in, in 1 Peter 5, 6, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. The humility to exaltation is as we humble ourselves under God, God will do the exalting. We don't have to self-promote we are to be promoting and exalting God. And if God chooses to exalt us on this earth in some way, shape, or form, that's great. But I think in my mind, the exaltation that I'm looking for is the day that I stand before my Lord face to face. And he has granted me salvation, not because of my works on this earth, but that I had faithfully served him. The reason we gain salvation, we know it comes through Jesus Christ. And the true example of humility is found in Jesus Christ. There's no better example of true humility that's given to us than that of Christ Jesus. And in verses 5 through 11, we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, at the name of Jesus. What a wonderful portion of Scripture. What a tremendous example that Paul gives us here. And, and I look at the example that he has given us and saying, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And I think it is an impossibility to, for me to have the mind of Christ apart from the work of God in my life. I, I would never obtain to this or be able to obtain it. As I said earlier, I, I feel like this portion of Scripture is as though we are stepping on to holy ground. This is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, 
to have this mind of Christ, a mind where the Lord Jesus Christ described himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as being gentle and lowly in heart. In Matthew twenty twenty eight, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And this humility of Jesus, we see it throughout the Gospels, but I don't think there's any greater example of his humility that can be found than the testimony of his sacrifice on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And as Paul just gives us a glimpse of this, he reminds us, first of all, that Christ was in the form of God, but he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We know that in Genesis 1-1 that the opening of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if that's all we had about the creation, we would think of a, a solo God out there, a solitary being that created the heavens and the earth. But when we drop down to verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, we also read that then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the question there is, who is God talking to when he was creating this world? And, and we could ask, well, was he talking to the angels? And when we read through Scripture, we discover that the angels were also created beings from God. And so he wasn't talking to the angels because the angels were created beings of God. And, and the next we could ask, was he talking to the animals? With the animals, we find that with Adam, there was no helper comparable to him. Therefore, the animals are not in the image or likeness of God, nor man. They weren't sufficient to be a helpmate for Adam. And so the us and the are that's referred to there, I believe it's God, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I believe the method by which he created us in his image and in his likeness was that we are also a threefold being of spirit, soul, and body. But it's Jesus who is not only in the form of God, but is also equal with God. In John 1, 1 through 4, it reads, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in verse 14 of John 1, it tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's there in verse 14 that we discover that the word that's being referred to there is Jesus Christ himself. He was in the beginning with God, and the world was created through him and is sustained by him. And Jesus himself, praying in John 17, 5, cried out to the Father, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Before this world existed and was spoken into existence, Jesus Christ was with the Father and the Father with the Son. But he emptied himself. It tells us that he made himself of no reputation in verse 7, taking on the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. He is preexistent Lord, but he himself, still God, set aside his deity 
And he changed his mode of being, we could say, and took on flesh to become a, a servant. Uh, Vines described it as one who gives himself up to the will of another. And this is Jesus. He gave himself up to the will of another. The other was his father. who came to do the will of his father. Father, I thank you so much for your word today. And Lord, truly, just a wonderful passage of Scripture that by the name of Jesus, and Father, as we stand here today, perhaps we haven't had the unity as we should as a fellowship. Perhaps, Father, we are not obedient to verses 1 through 4, that, Lord, we've been doing things through selfish ambition or conceit. Perhaps the issue, Lord, is not how we're living our lives as believers, but the fact that we're not a believer at all and that we have never accepted you as Savior. And Lord, during this song, I pray that you would prick our hearts and that we would be attentive to your needs, that your spirit would move in our lives and that we would uh, just respond to the gospel that has been presented to us today. As you direct by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let go.